Hello and welcome to the 2018 uh, Top 10 Movies, according to the Mini by Us. This is Talk and Talk. I am Brent. We have David. Hello. We have Chris. Hello. And we have TJ. Hello. And we're each counting down from 10 to 1 our favorite movies, or best movies, or whatever our definitions want to be, of 2018. Might as well get right to it. Let's do it. My number 10. I'll start. Oh. My number 10 is uh, Hereditary. This was a very good horror movie. We're still, I feel like, in a something of a golden age of horror, unless it's just me ignoring the previous age of horror. <laughs> that could be it, too. But uh, It's been a while. Hereditary had, uh, it really tries a lot of different stuff. It, it uh, you know, which, which could be a criticism of the movie, but at the same time, it's, I think it really comes together well. It has, you know, the, the horror surrounding the, the daughter... And her story early on in the movie, and then the the son going through what he goes through, and then you know all throughout you have uh, Tony Collette's magnificent performance, yeah, yeah, outstanding in the movie. It really this this movie definitely shook me while I was watching it. At times, it was a scary at times, excruciating at other times. Yes, <laughs> really fun stuff though. With the is this like paranormal demonic shit real? Or is his family, which everybody's told us multiple times, is crazy, mm-hmm. just crazy. Yeah. Although the one, uh, the I one mean, giveaway in the movie though was uh, hiring what's her name to uh, and dad and dad uh, yeah. to be someone an outside force. And I was like, yeah, I know what's happening here though. <laughs> and dad is evil. An early review was like the scariest part of the movie is when Ed Dowd's name appeared in the opening credits. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it's, it's a fantastic horror film. Fantastic debut too. That'd be your first movie. Yeah, first big movie. Right, is a crazy confident filmmaking. And also, like it, it, besides it just being a great horror movie, it also had something that I think the genre doesn't always get, which is like a really great performance from its lead. Mm-hmm. Like, and Alex Wolf is great too. Yeah, he is. He's very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that one's a, that's just a movie that really stuck with me it, it for is, the long haul. It is the best movie this year where someone slams their face into a wall or desk, <laughs> beating or a telephone bird box pole. by a hair, or a telephone pole. Well, that one was less voluntary. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, that is the one preamble that we need. We're going full spoilers. Yes. Oh yeah. So apologies to anyone in the room if we talk about a movie that people in the room haven't seen because these are timestampless. As well, so yeah, you're listening at your own risk. Yep. Uh, let's go to David for your number ten movie of the year. My number ten in any other day, if I just look in my heart, it's probably my number one. But I filter it through my brain, so it comes out number ten. <laughs> <laughs> and it is uh, Paddington Two, <laughs> the most uh, like the kindest movie I've seen in quite some time. Uh, all of its characters are treated. Uh, like, nice people just trying to do nice things, and that nice bear touches everybody's lives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, does it have a... Has anyone else seen it yet? I've seen it. I've not. It has a <clears throat> amazing Hugh Grant comedic performance. Yes. He's so funny. He's so funny and fun as, uh... What's his character's name? I think Phoenix is his first name. <laughs> yes. Something very he's, very... he's a disgraced sort of... Well, not disgraced, but just a, an actor who isn't getting roles anymore who has to do dog food commercials now. Mm-hmm. Um, he, man, does he have so much fun with that role. He's also a big a big reason that movie is better than the first Paddington is because yes. the, the Nicole Kidman villain in the first one is just very kind of... 
run of the mill. Yeah, she's, she's kind of cold, which makes her not that fun as as a villain. Very like procedural. Yeah. And Hugh Grant is all ego, and he gets to play like a bunch of different characters within the movie. Like he acts as different roles, and I think he's uh, he's pretty outstanding in it. Her her villain never really made a whole lot of sense, like because uh, she was trying to kill Paddington to stuff him for an exhibit so that she could claim the her for her family that they've discovered this bear when instead she could have just showed him alive mm-hmm. and done the same thing. So it never made a whole lot of sense that she was obsessed with killing him and stuffing him for a museum. So yeah. I think she was the only issue I had with the first Paddington, which was lovely. And then, Still they, great, yeah. and then they fixed it, I think, with Hugh Grant's character in this one. This movie's fun, and it's uh, like what it did for 2018, too. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about it since literally the first of the year. Mm-hmm. When it, out of nowhere, people were saying it was like one of the best movies of the decade. It was getting nominated for BAFTAs. Mm-hmm. Well, technically, it's only a 2018 movie for us. Correct. I think it was a wide release in Britain in 2017. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was last year's BAFTAs. Yeah. yeah. It does a great... You know, in a movie, in a year where culture and some of the movies were marked by a lot of cynicism and maybe nihilism, it is a great uh, trumpet call for decency and kindness and something that you can never have uh, enough of, you know, when you're watching movies. And man, the final uh, scene in the movie is just so heartwarming and it made me cry. (laughs) Nice. I'm excited. Um, How about Chris? Number 10? Alright, so I forgot about a movie which just shook up my uh, <laughs> my <Man>. top ten. <laughs> so, we're not getting into honorable mentions, so I will I will put a pin in that. But, my number ten movie of the year, also going horror, is uh, A Quiet Place. Oh, nice. Great choice. I really love this movie, Haters Be Damned. I think this, this, this is a relatively flawless movie. Um, mm-hmm. You've got great performances by Emily Blunt and John Krasinski, and the kids who are often unsung. Yeah. Millicent uh, Simmons being the, the deaf child, I think, is phenomenal in it. Yeah, yeah, she's two for two for me with uh, with uh, Wonderstruck, Wonderstruck, and this great, great performances from her. Um, and all of the technical aspects of this movie are really great. I mean the the I guess cryptozoology, just like the the way that the monsters are created to fit in that world just makes sense with kind of the the horrible realization of what they would be to be able to pick up on sounds from anywhere. Their whole head is basically a giant like ear. Yeah. yeah. Um and it's it's just some excellent universe building that you've got that intro scene, that fifteen minute scene where the the youngest child gets snatched and like really viciously uh, yeah. presents the stakes. Yes. In like you you know exactly why this movie the, this family is thriving and kind of the the, the cost that they've already paid uh, to to live. And that really sets that tension for you too when the the kid gets killed at the start because yeah. that lets you know as the movie watcher Anybody can die in this movie. Yeah, fair game. Yeah, if we're gonna kill this cute little kid at the start, if the alien's gonna come out and snatch that cute kid, you cannot get attached to anybody in this movie. Yeah, it's one of the best intro scenes for me because it just it sets all the characters up so perfectly for the rest of the movie. Everyone's motivation, everyone's like weaknesses and strengths, and the whole movie kind of builds off of it. I'm 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 really a fan of that early peak uh, that movies have been doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe not. 
now. They've probably been doing it for a while. But, like, particularly that was one of my my highest highs for Blade Runner is that opening scene with Bautista. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Bautista, since he's not wrestling. I should use his full name. Um, although I would call him The Rock if Dwayne Johnson were involved in a movie this year uh, that was in my list. But just that, like, okay... We're going to do all the universe building in the first 10 to 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and then we're going to let the story tell itself. Yeah. Like, it, it's so helpful to, like, it's almost, you, you walk in with the Cliff's Notes, mm-hmm. and then you're, you're, you're ready for the remainder. And I thought that A Quiet Place just did an excellent job at that setting, and then the acting was just, you know, all cherry on top. Great world building details in that first 10 minutes, too. When you get scenes on the rewatch, I noticed a few things, like the food that's left. Yeah. On the shelves in the grocery store, like all the the chip aisle is like still crunchy. full. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or the sandy trails, the things that yeah. they don't have to explain that you just fill in yourself. Yeah, yeah, that they have to lay the sand every once in a while because it gets like blown away. Like mm-hmm. that's all really, really and sharp. And that's really impressive too for like a, a not a first time director, but a first time director in this genre. It seems, and yeah. uh, for some like there's such a I feel like a lot of writers feel the need to just do exposition there, which mm-hmm. is just like have like. Oh, we need to have uh, the dad explain to the son why we walk on the sandy trails right. or whatever. But they don't. They, you can figure that out on your own. Yes, yeah. they they film They're not that talking. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. being in the spoiler zone, just for like a wordless scene, just the sign language of instead of saying "I love you," he says "I've always loved you" to his daughter. It's yeah. just so heartbreaking. Yeah, there's I mean, a great moment in the interview with John Krasinski where he was talking to her mother um, at the premiere. And she was saying, like, oh, I always wanted to experience what my daughter, like, goes through. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is the, like, you did that for me. And that, that those scenes are great. The POV scenes from the yep. daughter. Where mm-hmm. everything's just kind of, like, not white noise, but just kind of like a frag grenade went off mm-hmm. constantly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and it, it, it is such an earned hero's moment, too, out of both John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. That, like, just, like, playing straight plot is just relieving yeah that like you know you never want a character to die uh that you are told to love and like but you know krasinski's sacrifice is just well earned mm-hmm. yeah and emily bunt oscar worthy performance to say the least yeah yeah tj what's your number 10 one of the last movies i saw of 2018 is my number 10 film uh vice I'll put it at number 10. I'm still a big fan of the extremely creative directorial techniques that Adam McKay used in a big short and vice. Uh, I was a little worried about it, and that was kind of the pushback on this movie, was this doesn't need to be as explained as much as, you know, what happened with the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is true, but it also doesn't go to explaining much. It's just kind of there to be a fun diversion from a topic that's not super fun uh, with... With Dick Cheney and his life. It's also more of a biopic than I thought it was going to be from the title of the film. Yeah. Which I enjoyed more than I would have if it was just like, you know, kind of fuck the Bush administration and Cheney was a monster. Yeah. Uh, it does do a little of that, but it also humanizes him. I mean, it takes the best thing he probably ever did for his family. And it's definitely in the movie and it definitely yeah. is used. Had the numbers to run for president. Could have had the White House maybe by throwing his daughter under the bus. Mm-hmm. who's was homosexual. And he decided not to do it because he didn't want to put her through that. It's not human asking him. He did a very human thing. Right. You know, regardless of everything else he did that was fucked up, that was a cool move and something that you might not understand unless you're a parent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. also an important thing to that, that tells me they do a good job with, with characterization, which is 
I mean, in real life, very few people are just pure evil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone has flaws and everyone has... Even the bad guys have some... Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I think they portrayed him in the movie as somebody who realized... He didn't go to Yale or Harvard, you know, he dropped out of college. Realized he was really good at, like, the the turns that happened in D.C. He had a good handle on that. Learned what he learned from Donald Rumsfeld, who was the same kind of dude. And realized, like, oh, I'm good at this. I can probably make this my job and be good at it. And he did it, and we just don't agree with how he did it. But I don't think he was... I mean, he was a... You know, he didn't do it for money. Right. <clears throat> he was loaded. I mean, you're CEO of damn Halliburton. No reason for him to go do it unless yeah. you think you're good at it. And, and we th- just disagree with what he did when he got there. And at the time, we thought that he had to divest himself of all of those corporate earnings. Right. <laughs> we now know that that's not true. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, I, I would I would recommend Vice, especially if you like the big short, because the, the jokes are still there that, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, the big short did the same thing. Is it not, t- it's not a funny situation. Is but. the tone about the same as the big short? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That's made that movie a little more bearable. Yes. Um, David, we'll go to you for uh, your number nine movie. My number nine is uh, also a recent watch for me. It's The Death of Stalin. Nice. Uh, pound for Pound is probably the funniest thing I've seen all year, <clears throat> while also being probably the... Uh, it's also disturbing and caustic and tells a lot about our time right now. Armando Iannucci is just a phenomenal uh, filmmaker and writer and does witty insults like uh, like Shakespeare does poetry. Yeah, you fuck know? you, you fucking fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of clever profanity and uh, I just love his take on politics is kind of like the Vice thing. is It's not evil masterminds. A lot of the time it's uh, influential idiots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially uh, Khrushchev in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Khrushchev is really good, and uh, Jeffrey Tambor plays, uh, I think, Malenkov. Oh, my God. Yeah, really. He's idiot. just the <laughs> most gigantic goofball, and they all make fun of him, but the scary thing is the power that these idiots have, because that they, they have been granted this power by the people or by their party. And their callousness when it comes to, like, real problems and real death, and how... They think the biggest issue in the world is is like what they're put in charge of. Like uh, when Khrushchev gets put in charge of a funeral, and yes. uh, he's just like, "This is." He gets put in charge of Stalin's funeral, and he's just like, "I don't want to do this. You're putting me. On, you're doing this to fuck with me. Why are you putting me on this?" And Steve Buscemi as Khrushchev is a, is fantastic. Yeah, he's phenomenal. But uh, who's the guy who plays Beria? Because that is the standout yeah, of the movie. Simon Russell Beale. Simon right? Russell Beale. I, I told TJ, I said, well, I haven't gotten around to seeing Vice yet, but I feel like I've seen Russian Cheney, uh, because uh, Simon Russell Beale in that movie is, is Cheney-esque. Um, he's fantastic. Yeah. The movie will test your, your callousness for human life when there's a character who is shot and burned, and rather than reflect on the moment, someone uh, insults him for smelling... <laughs> like burned like horse shit. <laughs> he's like you fucking idiot. <laughs> they, he's yelling at his burning shot body. I don't think I've laughed harder than when they're trying when they're all getting in cars and uh, they've got the the hearse with uh, or the the truck that has uh, Stalin's body in it mm-hmm. and they're all arguing over who gets to drive behind it. <laughs> like this is this is that is uh, what's the uh, director's name. Uh, Inucci. Inucci's. That's his most perfect take on politicians, I think. 
Yeah. Like, that's the nice. shit they worry about. The obsession with bureaucracy at the expense of humanity there. Because mm-hmm. you also have Russian soldiers who throughout the movie are just firing at Russian citizens. <laughs> like, you know, executing them. <laughs> In between, like, witty repartee between these guys. <laughs> oblivious to human life. <clears throat> nice. Yeah. Um, so we bid a fuckity bye to... <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, I just love In the Loop. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of if you like In the Loop, I think you'd really like this movie. Uh Chris, what's your number nine? <coughs> My number nine, and I feel like I've done this movie dirty, uh, but it's 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 at nine because it needs to be on my list. A movie that I looked forward to as soon as I heard about it was Mandy. It's my number nine as well, and I'm going next. So right. cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought that, again, this is another, I don't know if my bottom five are going to be universe building movies, um, but holy shit. This one does it. <laughs> yeah. Everything from the set design, production design, like the cinematography, like this, this movie plays out like a metal band's discography album covers. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, hundred <laughs> percent. If you go from first release to last release, like it just like it runs the gamut. Like visually, like it is. Yeah, the, the, that I would describe that as the visual like uh, inspiration behind this movie is just heavy metal album covers. Yeah, it it, it has probably my favorite Nicolas Cage moment in any movie. His, his bathroom freakout, so, so weird and good, is awesome. Like, I think it is, like, top-flight acting to, like, let someone just, like, hey, look, people may never see this. People may hate this movie. People may hate you in this movie. But this is what you need to do right now. Mm -hmm. And he was like, say no more, and just fucking nailed it. Like, dude downs that bottle of pop-off like it was gonna bring her back. Like, it was just excellent. Um... You know, it's if, if you're in it for the gore and the kills, like, they're there, too. They're good. You know, yeah. that was kind of a sidecar to my enjoyment of this. You know, that's not mm-hmm. my, my favorite. But it is just, like, brutal and visceral in a way it needs to be to tell that story. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate just how quietly, like, schlepped out this was. Just, you know, like, pushed out to streaming. And, like, I, I don't know what the release was like, like, what the release schedule was like. But I feel like it was released on streaming, and then word of mouth got it into theaters. Um, that's probably not the story, but there's so many like little moments from Mandy that I love, like the well the the monologue that he gives when after he abducts Mandy, that guy. Yeah. Uh, forget I've forgotten a lot of details like character yeah. names, but that yeah. that scene really stands out to me. And then of course Chainsaw Fight. Oh yeah, because chainsaw holy fight. hell, chainsaw fight! <laughs> and, and, and the guy drags his chainsaw out, and it just is longer and longer and longer. And he's, it's like this eighteen foot long chainsaw. <laughs> uh, but even more than the monologue, I love her reaction to it. That's just, yeah. it's just like so, like that hits that spot in your brain that enjoys revenge, yeah, in a way that's just like so good. Uh, which the, her retort is just. Phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, the movie is a visual just fucking ride. Yeah. I mean, it is so fun to just watch, even if you, like, muted it. Mm-hmm. It's just visually bonkers and stunning at the same mm-hmm. time, and it's great. And Just put on, like, a Slayer album and just put yeah, this I mean, movie yeah. on and not yeah. even listen, and it would work. Or put King Crimson on. Or put, like... <laughs> Any, yeah, any Donovan. <laughs> like, any, album that, any album that, that takes you on 
like where you can close your eyes and visualize it. Just leave them open and watch Mandy and it fucking Listen to Atlantis like five times. Cyber at the gates of dawn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the uh, the quote in that movie that always like summarized the plot of that movie and the, the, the storytelling ride that you go on is uh, when he goes to get his gun. And the quote is just, I've come for the Reaper. And I'm just like, cool! <laughs> I'm in. Also, what the hell is... I've already forgot. What was the, uh, the weird uh, commercial he sees? That shit took, like, Reddit by storm. <laughs> oh, like the macaroni and cheese commercial? Oh, it's uh, the macaroni cheese demon? Goblin? Cheese, cheese goblin. Cheese goblin. <laughs> macaroni <laughs> demon. <laughs> cheese goblin. Mom, was, you're so close. Yeah. <laughs> cheese goblin was just, like, so perfect for this movie because it, it made absolutely no sense, did not need to be in the movie at all, and made it so much more fun. It's the Cheddar Goblin. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it is the Cheddar Goblin. <laughs> Thanks. We're, we're doing this in front of a live audience, <laughs> and and not to not to steal time from because you TJ, this is your number nine also. But this is also like tomorrow. This could be in my top five. Mm-hmm. It's it is a movie that when I reflect on, I just love more and more, and it's just it is such a volatile placement for it at nine that it that's that's just where it sits today. Yeah, it's a movie where, too, it has become the new, like, movie point for me. If somebody comes up and they're like, oh, you watch a lot of movies, like, anything you've seen recently, or, like, anything you recommend that I might not have seen, and I'll just be like, do you like horror movies? Because you should watch Mandy, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's also kind of, like, when I go to Netflix or Prime or Hulu for, like, an original that's, like, a weird sci-fi idea, like, Mandy is, like, the pinnacle of that. Yeah. It's like, it is this like strange take and world, and that's what I want every time I turn on a movie. Like, when you hear me talk about seeing movies like The Titan, like, if you can do something close to Mandy, then success. You're giving it a go. Yeah. You're seeing if this is that. Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend Mandy for anybody who likes, I mean, just like that that cinematic look at how to make this a film fun to watch. Yeah. It's visually a fun fucking movie. And it's my number nine as well. Nice. My number nine movie of the year was Leave No Trace. I thought Leave No Trace had great characters. Uh, a rich setting. And, uh, oh boy, the circumstances of it are just so well set up for that movie to play out. Where it, the movie, the story feels inevitable the whole way through. Like, you just yeah. feel like like you're you're building toward that ending that happens. And it just, like, it's... But you don't really get mad with the way it ends either. It's just like it's everybody sort of trying to just they have to do what's best for themselves in the end, mm-hmm. and they do as much as they can for family to try to keep family together. But in the end, you know, at, at a certain point, you do just have to do what's best for yourself. And I, I love that that uh, pull and push of family versus self in this movie. Um, you just you're heartbroken for the two of them, yeah, and yeah. just their situation and how like everybody's trying to do what's best for what they think is best for them. Everyone's trying to help, and I love that part of it. Yeah, there's no antagonist in the movie really, mm-hmm. and it's just the antagonist um, is really his like PTSD and his like m- like mental problems, which is yeah, it's not which it's, is such a heartbreaking thing for both of them to deal with, especially right. you know the the dawning realization for the the daughter is your problem is not my problem. Yes, and when I can't, she says I that. can't live your life. Yeah, oh man, what you do? 
um, it's really nice to see Ben Foster in a, I mean, he... Not psychopath. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a troubled, it's a yet another troubled role for him, but right. it's uh, it's something that's far more sympathetic than, than what he normally does. Yeah. He, he's normally just being unhinged in a fun way, like a like a villainous yeah. way. But, um, or like a loose cannon type, and in this he is not. Right, no, you just, he's... he's Keeping it together for the most for most of the movie, but you just see the struggle of him keeping it together. The tension of how tightly wound he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then last but not least, Thomason McKenzie is fan. I can't wait to see what she's doing next in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, the way she delivers her lines, where she's like breathless at times, just due to her anxiety over her situation, mm-hmm. um, it's incredible. Um, and because she knows that everything she tells her dad is going to be a knife wound for him, and yeah. it's just like. She's she's saying the things that need to be said, and it just hurts her even more. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 a great performance. And she like she's trying to so delicately talk to him too. When it's just like when when he says they they want or uh, she said you know like why can't we just try to fit in a little bit here? Yeah, and you know and he just has his sort of canned responses to that that he doesn't even really think about that he just he's like you know we're doing what they want, uh, and so. I mean, I, I think more than, like, acting or directing or special effects or writing, any of that, like, the thing I want movies to do the most is just try to tell a story, because they've all been told, but tell it a different way, do something a little different. I think Lee Ned Trace did that just, you know, by kind of, like, removing the villain aspect in a story like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, like, it, sometimes those movies are boring and they're not good, you know, mm-hmm. but I'd rather you take that risk. Yeah. Leaves more space for the heart of the story to kind of... Take center stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this case, right. Yeah. Well, for number eight, let's start with Chris for number eight. Uh, for number eight, this is my uh, my personal my, my personal heart pick on here, and I won't talk too much about it because I know that I've talked ad nauseum, but I really loved Hearts Be Loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that the, the room here is a little more lukewarm on it. It is probably the most emotionally affecting movie that I saw, and I think that I carried some personal baggage into it at the time was very overworked was you know far away from home far away from home all all your friends yeah and just kind of like isolated put in this box and then i like sit down and watch this movie about a father coming to grips with losing his daughter not because she's dying not because of anything but because she needs to live her own life because he was a great dad because he (laughs) did phenomenal by her and raised her and it's just such a heart string that was plucked with this that um, it would be a shame for me to not have it represented on this list or at or give it at least you know another minute and a half two minutes uh, mm-hmm. on Talkie Talk. So yeah. in the best way, it's it's a nice warm flannel shirted hug. Yeah. of a movie. Yeah, it's a very sweet movie. I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, the two of them, the dynamic between the two of them were was just great. It had the, it reminded me a little bit of uh, of once. This isn't that same director, is it? No, the guy who did Sing Street. Okay, no. Um, just feels like it a little bit with the the way that guy can capture the magic of creating music. And there's a scene in Once years ago that 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 always that I love. That's uh, them sitting down to make a song. And when I watched Hearts Beat Loud, it brought me right back to that. Because when they're making that song at the beginning of the movie, when they're putting together Hearts Beat Loud, it's fantastic. That is one of my favorite scenes of the year. I love how surprised the dad is that 
you know, you came up with this. <laughs> and just like how proud he is of her creative yeah. spirit. And he yeah. stays up all night working on it. Because she just thinks mm-hmm. that they're just kind of goofing off. And he stays up working on it and shows her. She's like, wait, this this sounds good. This is, the, this is real. The moment of that movie for me that I loved so much as a, I guess, like former songwriter musician was her watching like YouTube clips on her laptop laying on her bed. And mm-hmm. she watches a, a video of Mitski playing mm-hmm. American Girl. And, uh, which is like my probably best song of 2018 release wise. I love that song. It's beautiful. But she's just smiling and watching it. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's great. I've totally been there. Yeah. It's like, it's good. I like music. <laughs> also love that it had the, uh, it had that moment in the movie where, you know, it's, it's a modernized version of like from the, that thing you do when they hear their song on the radio for the first time. Right down the street. <laughs> and now it's, uh, it's the, I heard my song, my song in a coffee shop on a Spotify playlist. Yeah. Uh, I love his react, his go like back and forth with that mm-hmm. coffee shop. What is this with the barista? Yeah, what is this? Like it's a playlist on Spotify. But how? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't understand what I'm asking. Why is that? Why is this? He why needs to see playing? like the iPhone or the iPod that's plugged into. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're on a playlist with I forget the artist. He says we're on a playlist with like Iron and Wine and <laughs> something oh, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm glad that movie. I mean, to state the obvious. Uh, you definitely carry in your current state and history whenever you yeah. watch anything. So I've definitely got movies on my list that shouldn't be on y'all's. You know, well, the early lead for Tony Collette in our top ten representations. Yeah. Yeah. She was good in that too. Yeah, she was fun. Um, TJ, what's your number eight movie? Uh, my number eight movie uh, is a, a recent movie I, I watched in the theater. Me and Chris went and saw it. Uh, kind of on the Mandy tip, visually, maybe the best movie I've seen this year. Um, but it's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, the animation is some of the best I've seen in the past, you know, especially not non-Pixar. It's way up there. Uh, the story's fun. The voice cast is great. Uh, Nick Cage with another appearance on our top ten yep. list, tying Tony Collette. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to freak you out when mom and dad is on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought Into the Spider-Verse is, I think it is, the best Spider-Man movie ever. Um, It was so fun. I love that Miles finally got a movie. Yeah. People have been asking for that for a while now. Uh, And it was really, the jokes were funny. I mean, not even just the intro jokes, but like him going back and singing the... Uh, it's not me, guys. What's the song that he sings to calm himself down? I don't remember. But him singing that and the like when they're still on the computer, it's just real funny. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do you do to calm down? Like, hey, my like <laughs> can't even hear what he's saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, really good voice work was fun. A fantastically fun idea too. Yes. Um, and they delivered on it. And I like that they just went all in on it, like with yeah. with Peter Porker and everything. <laughs> yeah, the anime Spider Man, Spider Man Noir. Yeah. Uh, the character of Spider-Gwen was great in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited that they're making a, uh, a Spider-Gwen movie now yeah. in that style. Oh, fun. Yeah. I love that style, though. I mean, going back to what you said first, first and foremost on that movie is the animation and the yeah. uh, the visual. The credits were exciting. Yeah. <laughs> but I love how you can you know see on certain characters' faces the dots that you would see in comic books mm-hmm. uh, yep. and whatnot, which is it's just so cool. It was really cool yeah. uh, visual treat. Once he becomes Spider-Man, he starts like like he's in a comic book. <laughs> my voice in my head got louder. <laughs> uh, really, really clever storytelling. And, uh, you know, I think we, 
we talked earlier about Incredibles 2 probably not going to get caught, and none of us were super high on Incredibles 2. But then I know when Chris and I saw this, we were like, oh, this movie is definitely better. Yep. Yes. It's a better <laughs> movie, and it's better animated, I think. Yes. Yep. I mean, as well, I mean, the Pixar movies are all great. They're all, almost all, like, perfect animations at this point. But this did something creative. Yeah. I mean, and new. That's the thing, is that Pixar's first class, but that doesn't mean it's first place. Right. right. Like, they, they always do an excellent job, and it's, it's, and this sounds really shitty, but it's up to other animation studios to start challenging them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, will we a good ever, way to do it? Yeah. Will we ever be blown away by the Pixar animation again? Like, we walked in expecting you it. You kind of got to play the margins now. Like, what mm-hmm. Spider-Verse does, what Studio Leica does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To kind of get... Loving Vincent. Like, yeah. yeah, you're not going to be able to spend the money, so you can't do what they do better. Right. So try something else. Yeah. And Spider-Man and, did that and knocked it out of the fucking park. And with a franchise like that, to like, you got you got butts in seats paying attention to your movie the way that Pixar does. Oh, I mean, there if they a, tell you that they've got like a movie where the main character is a fart. Like, there was an adorable family next to me and you that, like, dad, mom, six-year-old son, three-year-old daughter were all in their Spider-Man outfits yeah. <laughs> ready to watch it. I mean, they were ready. Um, yeah. Well, I'll quickly hit my number eight because it's our first retread pick. I am uh, My number eight movie of the year was A Quiet Place. Uh, just a, a masterwork intention building, like I said earlier. Uh, I did see one. I love the theater experience of going to see A Quiet Place. Uh, and I saw someone on Letterboxd, I wish I knew who, so I could credit them properly, but there was a review I saw that said, uh, I love this movie because it's the one movie that finally made uh, assholes who make noise in movie theaters feel like the assholes they are. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, already already loved on Quiet Place plenty. I don't think the guy in our theater knew who was an asshole. Nope. What's the, uh, what did he say it was? Hedgehog. That's, that's a hedgehog. That's a, that's a raccoon. Where are you from? That's <laughs> just a hedgehog. Um, no, when I went to see it, it was it was kind of an empty theater, and, except there was a guy, he was doing his best to be really careful. Eating like. But it was like, like you could hear just like the soft crinkle of yeah. something in a, in a bag, like, like he was, I was like, I just wanted to yell, just get the food. <laughs> Make the noise. <laughs> Loudly one time. Loudly once. Pour all of it in your mouth and chew over the next hour and a half. Take your shirt, make a bowl out of it. <laughs> Pour all the chips in your shirt bowl. Uh, all right, David, what's your number eight movie? Uh, it's also a retread. So uh, it is hereditary. It is, uh, yeah, I think it's one of the scariest movies I've seen in a while. Especially the, uh, you know, I love the the kind of mental illness aspect of the, the trauma that this, this family has uh, experienced, but uh, it kind of tips the scale towards, like, this is kind of actually happening, and I just think it's masterful, the kind of crescendo at the end of the nightmare-inducing imagery and all the torture of these characters finally reaches a, a head. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just, it's terrifying that the the house that's their place of support, you know, Alex has the car accident and he's just holds himself up in his room. It now becomes prime terror once you uncover what's in the attic and once you start seeing the cult members kind of in the periphery of shots and just like following and closing in. Yeah, fuck that shit. That's why uh, yeah. it's bad as a TV and film critic, but I refuse to watch a haunting of Hill House. It's like, that's cool. You can look for ghosts in the background. It's like, no, I will not. <laughs> I will not look for those. And just the horrifying conclusion of what happens to Tony Collette's character is just skin crawling. It's also nightmarish, but the the quiet 
kind of ending of you know how it wraps the bow on it is just so unnerving and the uh, the trumpet score and i looked at it afterwards and the um what's the uh you know we're in full spoiler what's the um demonic god i don't remember well he was he was apparently in the bible or Elias? some kind of kind of like uh you know revel- revelations type scripture he was known as like a herald of trumpets and uh, we haven't hit on the score of the like discordant brass that kind of signals the end of the movie. It's just Pymon. I think a Paimon. Paimon, that's right. Um, he's a grantor of wisdom and is heralded by trumpets, and they do a great job weaving that into the end of the 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 trumpet score. And uh, yeah, I think it does a great job in a movie full of existential dread, sticking the landing. Yeah, one thing just too that we didn't mention the first time we were in a theater to watch that and. We had the the guy beside us who wasn't well, super annoying with it, but the kind of like laugh or make jokes when it's uncomfortable yeah. when you watch a movie like that kind of guy. He shut the hell up when you see her grandmother in the very beginning, like when she turns the lights off in the basement and you can kind of see her in the darkness, which was mm-hmm. the scariest part of the movie for me. And he was like making a joke as they were. He was like, gotta get her to the hospital, man. Gotta get her to the hospital. And then it was just like the decapitation happened and he was just like silent for the rest of the movie. <laughs> he was just like, this is different. <laughs> a different movie than I thought it was going to be. I'll save my riff tracks for another. Yeah. <laughs> All right, for number sevens, we're going to start with TJ. Seven is a movie that Brent recommended. To me. <laughs> no way. Wait, 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 wait. I forgot again. Brent recommended nothing to me. <laughs> um, and it turned into something that our friend group, even outside of the podcast, all watched, all loved. It's a documentary, Mindy the Gap. It is also my number seven. Nice. Mm. <laughs> Still my favorite character of the year, I think. Is Curie, yeah, uh, and Zach's up there. That movie could have been written and portrayed as a narrative, and it would have been super interesting. Yes, mm-hmm. that's ridiculously hard to do for most documentaries. Mm-hmm. I think it sometimes it takes some tricks and some, you know, I'm gonna tell the story this way to make the documentary interesting because without that, it's not as interesting and it might not keep people's attention. Like Icarus kind of had to do this movie, didn't have that. I mean, it's just their life and it told it straight up, yeah, and. Some of them are extremely flawed. I guess they all are extremely flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, you love some, you hate some, you feel bad for some. I, I don't know. It was uh, so many emotions watching that film and those three kids. Yeah, just caught in that cycle of abuse. You just see all different ways. It can, yeah. Like, uh, for uh, Bing, it sort of propels him to, like, he escapes it by with a drive for his career. And then, uh, whereas with Zach, it's just... A cycle. It's, Perpetuation. It's just, yeah. he continues Heartbreaking, it his, his revelation. One of the scenes of the year for me is still his face when he says, like, sometimes bitches or women just need to get slapped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he hears himself say it, and you can see his face just drop. And he's just like, like, fuck. <laughs> That's, I'm that guy. What's mm-hmm. wrong with me? Yeah. Yeah. Super powerful coming from him, somebody who's, like, not dumb, but not over-the-top intelligent either. Mm-hmm. Like, that still just hits you. Yeah. And you realize, like, oh, am I a shitty person? It's a rough spot. Yeah. And you got a shout-out on Survivor from Carl. Bing! Uh, <laughs> I was like, really? Zach? That's weird. <laughs> well, if, if you both said your piece on Mining the Gap. Yeah. Okay. Then uh, I'll do mine, then. It's uh, my number seven movie of the year. Breaking the seal on this one. It's probably going to show up elsewhere for others. A Star is Born. I really... For, for my talk on this, I really just want to highlight two aspects of the movie that I loved. And that was watching Jackson and Allie fall in love together. The first Their chemistry over the first half of that movie is just incredible. And I'm not saying it's bad in the second half, but just the first half of that movie when they're 
in the parking lot and when they're just swept up in this whirlwind romance it's just incredible to me the, the yeah. chemistry they have with one another on screen uh, bradley cooper and lady gaga are fantastic in the movie and uh second thing soundtrack i love a good oh, soundtrack yeah. and this one kills it a uh, great kind of ambiguity to his uh genre too I really like that aspect of the movie. Kind of a... Country, you might go to, folk, rock. Yeah, like, but you go to his show at Amphitheater and you kind of know who's there and it's kind of a hodgepodge of everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Really enjoyed it. It's, uh... So many of those songs were stuck in my head. Yeah. For so long. Even still to this point. I mean, he got Lady Gaga to help write stuff. He got Jason Isbell, one of the best songwriters around right now. To help write one song, mm-hmm. or to write one song, um, but he also went and got like Mark Ronson, mm-hmm. who's a hit machine. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's like when you know, for a movie about music, so many of these movies just don't have that depth of soundtrack exactly mm-hmm. this way. Like they don't have great song after great song after great song after great song. And uh, you know, I think about like as much as I love Almost Famous. The original song in Almost Famous, Stillwater song, Fever Dog, is just like the, no band wants to record this song, you so you can record this yeah, song. You don't see that being a hit no. in real life. But even this, with like the fifth best song, like By the Wayside, the opening song, the real rocket song, you're like, fuck, this song's good, is yeah. this the song in the movie? Like, no, it's the eighth best song in this movie. <laughs> These are like all my favorite Lady Gaga songs, too. Or there's just the ones in this movie. <laughs> this is my favorite. Yeah, you should listen to that album that came out last year. It's really good. Maybe I should. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm a big fan, and I know we'll probably talk about it more at some point. So, David, what you got for number seven? Uh, my number seven is uh, Black Klansman. Hey, fun. Uh, really, it is fun, which is uh, uh, maybe surprising considering how it is how it portrays so starkly racism and you know violent racism and you know explicit racism and also the uh, the evil of the Ku Klux Klan in that uh, um, I think Topher Grace actually does a great job as the future of racism in America mm-hmm. of how to package it and make it palatable for the rest of white America that he takes the hillbilly out of it and that makes it so dangerous that it is um it's a political know, weapon yeah political used, weapon yeah. being being uh kind of uh normalized through his rhetoric and his uh you know what what he's trying to do there and at the same time it's a great undercover story John David Washington is kind of a a, a standout he's i think he's really great in it um, portraying his his conflicted uh, racial racial history, in that he's a cop and he's he's being asked to like bust up a rally from these like Black Panther type uh, individuals. The conflict he has and it's it's made manifest, and he is he has to divorce a part of his personality to be the white face of this racist racist representation to infiltrate this. And kind of bring to the light what they want to keep in the dark. It's my favorite Spike Lee movie, I think, since Do the Right Thing. Kind of because it uh, that. it plays it straight a lot of the time. Rather than going into tricks for me. Uh, a lot of people are kind of here and there on the ending. I think the movie earns the ending. You know, it, does, it portrays uh, the events that happened in Charlottesville. As kind of, you know, it's obvious that 
he's making this movie that this is still going on today. But I think it earns it. Yeah, also a fantastic Adam Driver performance about oh, yeah. the Jewish-American experience and denying his cultural heritage and having to... Everybody is code-switching, literally because they're undercover, but also that's part of the movie's makeup. And it's just a really good cop story, too. Yeah, I just, I just really enjoyed it, more than I thought I would. Yeah, I think the ending was kind of important in that movie, because it, it does show that they win. They get rid of the, like, woohoo redneck racist blow shit up guys. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to defeat the David Dukes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Like so, they have a celebratory thing where they say, like, David Duke, you know, suck my black dick or something like that. Yeah. But well, at the end, he's still as, as influential, if not more than ever. And I was reading about it, and David Duke spoke out against a lot of KKK bombings. Mm-hmm. Which is like, that's not what we do. Like, not my thing. And it's like, shit, that's hard to fight, man. This guy is just like, I respect y'all. I just don't think you should mingle with us. When the KKK gets a PR-minded figurehead, mm-hmm. that's dangerous. Can, yeah. Who, yeah. like, teaches classes on how to go, like, be a congressman or a state senator. That's tough. Yeah. And he's super charismatic. And Topher Grace was fantastic in that movie. Down to number sixes, I'll start on number six. Number six for me is Roma. Alfonso Cuaron's sort of autobiographic. Uh, yeah, no, I loved, uh, I really loved the experience of watching Roma, particularly for the world building that he does of Mexico City in the 1970s. That neighborhood felt like as alive as any thing I've seen in a movie in recent years. The way, like, sounds in that movie are so, uh, they feel like so much part of the setting to me. Pedestrians, storefronts, uh, just things like that when they're walking along uh, the, the streets. The set design of the house is incredible. You know, the story the story is solid. I don't know that I connected to it as much as some people did, the mm. actual story, but the real success of the movie for me is how he captures that feeling of memory and without exactly like wallowing in the nostalgia of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, memory mm. is largely a sensory thing, and, you know, it's hearing the sounds and the, the visuals there... That's the strongest component of memory, right? Yes, and uh, I felt very like well, well put. I felt very <laughs> enveloped by his memory of mm-hmm. his childhood, mm-hmm. and I thought it was a beautiful movie, mostly in that regard. So awesome, big fan of Roma. Yeah, I know a, there are bigger fans than me out there too. It's a but glaring it's, hole in my 2018 watch. Um, I'm really excited to see it though, uh, especially from from what y'all have all said about it. David, what's your number six movie? My number six, small movie about uh, a restaurant. I'm doing Support the Girls. Nice. Um, Glad that that made it on. Yeah. Day day in the Life, and uh, I think, TJ, when you were talking about the movie, you had a great point about it is the microcosm for America, kind of distilled right there. You have, you know, racism, sexism, you have all these ills, and then you have these people just trying to get by, relying on each other and forming this family. The relationships are really deeply felt in that movie, and you really are cheering for the main character, even though she's trying to kind of actually fuck up her her life as it is, disrupt her status quo a little bit, Mm -hmm. or maybe just give in you know she's been fired several times yeah and this one she's actually trying to make stick by some of the stuff that she does she still feels guilty for kind of abandoning her family and especially uh just kind of depressing scene of everybody uh applying to the next restaurant that's so i think the the man cave that was hard to watch yeah she's applying to be a manager and her girls there that she's always protected and shepherded are uh, applying to get churned into the system and that the, the setup of the room where they're auditioning is almost like casting couch. It's a video and it's camera, just, uh, tripod there. Yeah, it was kind of kind of gross. 
Yeah. Got a uh, great ending. I love the... Yeah, one of the scenes of the year for me. Yeah, one yes. of the, just absolute catharsis for those characters. Being able to all kind of talk about each other and talk about their lives and actually physically get it out, their frustration, through screaming at the top of this building at the interstate about... Just everything. Shana McHale, the African-American. Yeah. The, she's, she is phenomenal. She is movie. great in it. Really I don't know what else yeah. she's been in. And also, uh, she's just very good. And, and not to mention Regina and, and Haley Lou are both just great too. But she yeah. was kind of a... I, I was watching that movie specifically for Regina Hall's performance. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of blown away by another one, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. Just great performances there. And just... It, 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 you can... Sometimes you can just get blown away by this really tiny movie, really small scope that does it really well, and that was Support the Girls for me. Love it. Loved it. Speaking of, my number six movie, and I get to uh, debut a movie uh, for all of us, is uh, Ladies and Gentlemen, I Finally Got One Right. First Reformed. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> finally assigned homework that didn't fizzle. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, maybe like the best homework that none of us have seen ever. <laughs> You've uh, made up for that shitty Jared Leto movie we watched. Nope. <laughs> that, is a, that is a soul debt I will never pay so back. So Actually, I, I didn't watch it. Yeah. Yeah, because I watched it and told you guys not to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, David watched it because he didn't watch 99 <laughs> Holmes. Holmes. That was, that was my debt. 99 yeah. Holmes and Watson. Uh, so, this movie is fantastic. Also, yes. a very small... Uh, it's aggrandizing, but it is still a very small movie about a... Reverend counseling a family of environmentalists while trying to save his church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we had we recorded a podcast where we talked about this movie for a solid hour. One of my favorite podcasts of the year. Yeah. I would go back and listen to that. It's going to be, what, about three, four podcasts ago? Yeah, maybe? something not, like that. Not too not, many. Not too far. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just great performance by Ethan Hawke and Paul Schrader. Just, like, the writing in it, the dialogue, everything. It's so intentional and purposeful, and it is it is the movie that, upon thinking about it, makes me feel more like a critic than any other movie on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a thoroughly enjoyable artistic experience, and I like to 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 put on different hats and and play pretend, and this is mine uh, when I tr- pretend that I'm like an actual film critic. Yeah, so, the m- movie almost feels more akin to like literature than it does comparing it to other movies. It's just so deep and just I love like love yeah. the idea of like he's he's it's it's so many things in parallel going on, but he's a priest who has a disease and encounters this idea that's just as like contagious and voracious and destructive in him. Yeah. And it's a it's a good you know, it's a good idea, something we should all be thinking of. But he just, uh, you know, it kind of calcifies in him to be something uh, incredibly ugly and destructive, like I'm saying. It's just really, uh, really impressive movie. It, it's it's such an easy onion to peel to where I don't think that there is pretentiousness at all in presentation, which is hard in an mm-hmm. auteur film, where I don't think that there's an interpretation that you can pull out of one scene or one situation or one conflict where you're wrong. Right. And I don't think that that is sloppy filmmaking. I think that is excellent filmmaking. I think it is, yeah, intentional and masterful <laughs> filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah, and Paul Schrader definitely shines here as a just pro at his game. Yeah. And Ethan Hawke's a great get for a movie like that because he kind of forget how just super talented he is <laughs> as an actor. I don't know why. He often just like kind of falls out of my scope, you know? 
Yeah. And then it'll be in something like this, or it'll be in Boyhood, and I'll be like, oh yeah, Ethan Hawke's really good. Where, <laughs> yeah, where, where he's such a canvas for the lines written for him. And it's just yeah. like, so great. Well said. I think the movie and the actor happened for each other at the perfect time, too. Yeah. Ethan Hawke's at that age where he could pull off this role, whereas like 10 years before, I don't think he could have. Yeah. Yeah. Too heartthrobby. Yeah. Yeah. TJ, what's your number six? My number six is a foreign film. I really, y'all recommended a lot of movies this year, and I liked a lot of them, and a few really hit me hard. And Chris liked this movie, and I think I liked it more. Yeah. But it's The Guilty. It is the scariest movie of the year for me. Uh, And it's not a horror film, (laughs) which is weird. But the way that the ending unravels is terrifying. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. You're kind of, you're put in, I mean, for, for y'all that didn't know, Chris talked about this movie not that long ago, a month ago on the podcast when he watched it. And it all takes place in two rooms, essentially. And you can see them both the whole time at a 911 call center. This guy gets a phone call and he's walking through this kidnapping and getting the person who's kidnapped to stay calm, walking her through it, trying to pinpoint her location, figure out where she is. The movie twists and turns, it twists and turns again, it twists and turns again, and then you're kind of unbalanced and you don't know what's going on. When you finally get the the big reveal there, it is so far gone from what you thought the movie was for the first hour that you almost break down. It's so bizarre and crazy. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the only reason I don't want to tell you what happens is because it'll take me 20 minutes to get there. Yep. To earn that. Yeah. But it's just a super fun ride. I'm, it's got an outside shot of getting an uh, Oscar nom for Best Foreign Film. Uh, I really hope it gets there. It's the most fun and the most scared I've been watching a movie this year, I think. it was. It's up there with the most fun watches of the year for me. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Really, really good. Highly recommend it whenever it comes. I rented it when I watched it. I think Chris did the same. Yep. So as soon as it pops up anywhere for free, give it a watch. I'm definitely going to watch that then. Yeah. At some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, uh, David, why don't you start us off on number five? Number five, yes. I have the favorite. Nice. Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, story about Queen Anne and her bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, her her two kind of uh, one's a lady, the other's a maid. It's a Golden Globes joke. Yeah, nobody. Yeah, David's yeah. <laughs> not just all of a sudden hates women. <laughs> yeah, I do not hate women. I support the girls. <laughs> True. I think it's kind of the best of both worlds in the sense that it's kind of got crazy Yorgos Lanthimos stuff. The visual style is kind of nuts, but it also has the, you know, I am a sucker for period pieces. It does have the sumptuousness of, uh, like, the period costumes and the castle and all that accoutrement that goes for it. The The score is very classical, and while kind of having, a, having fun with it at the same time. I think the characters are uh, really interesting. I love... I kind of love all three characters kind of equally. Emma Stone's really great as, uh, you know, any means necessary conniver for sur- for survival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can uh, you can see that in her character and the kind of, like, aside she does to kind of get a little step up. Um, you see Rachel Weiss. She is the uh, Queen Anne's lady. She does a great job of portraying the balance of exploiting her position, but also having, uh, I think she has genuine love for Queen Anne, and she knows how to uh, make her function. She knows what she has to do with her to make her kind of an actual human being. And some of it comes off as callous or mean, but, you know, she says in the movie that uh, only the people who love you will tell you the truth, and kind of helps her out in that respect. And just a towering performance by uh, Olivia Coleman, a crazy person who also is uh, very deeply humanized in it, especially when describing uh, her rabbits 
and you kind of get yeah. some of her. Uh, Those heartbreaking stuff. Yeah, yeah, emotional backstory and where the illness takes her at the end of the movie, where she's being left of some of her agency and faculties. You know, spoiler alert. I think she has a realization at the end that's heartbreaking that she made the wrong choice. And I think it's just a, a, yeah, a really well-done movie, great characters that I think is going to, I don't know, be resonant for if we look back in five years at this movie. I agree. It's certainly a memorable one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They did a great job of flipping the, in a movie that doesn't really have heroes and villains, kind of flipping the villain role and the hero role between Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You love Emma Stone for the first half of that movie, and at the end when she's drunk, you're just like, what a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially then, because you realize at least Rachel Weiss was doing it to, like, help the country. Yeah. Emma Stone is just like, I just want to eat and drink and, like, not be poor anymore. Mm-hmm. And you, you feel real bad for Rachel Weiss, especially. You want Emma Stone to win there, but then when she does, when she sends her off on the horse and shit, yeah. you're like, not this way. This is <laughs> shitty. Yeah. You just murdered her. Mm-hmm. Tried to. Yeah. I thought the performances are just almost like I don't know. I mean, I've never, I haven't seen it. It's been a long time since I've seen a movie with three performances that are that good. Yeah, um, they were all great. And I, I, just to touch on the period pieceness of it, the production design in the castle I thought was really fucking fun and cool. Yeah, and that that hallway using the time period of no power and all candlelight mm-hmm. makes that hallway so creepy and cool, mm-hmm. leading up to the queens. Yeah, quarters. Much more foreboding than it would be with like big electric light and seeing every nook and cranny for all of its elegance. Especially at night, it's very uh, imposing. Yeah, great great film. Chris, number five. <clears throat> at number five, I have uh, Bo Burnham's debut, Eighth Grade. <sighs> for the third time in our top ten, me and Chris share a number in the film. It was also <laughs> my number five. I just really enjoy this movie. It is some of the most fun I had watching a movie and and had fun in the anxiety of it. It it so perfectly captures the uncertainty of being a 13, 14 year old in middle school just trying to make your way through a really tough time. The 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 way that they insert a guy who didn't go through the modern trappings of what makes a millennial, Snapchat, mm-hmm. vlogging culture mm-hmm. to like watch that i want to watch that from a thousand miles away mm-hmm. and this is a perfect look uh, into it absolutely elsie fisher just does such a great job and i think maybe on purpose maybe not we'll see really accurately capturing that oeuvre of someone that age facing the difficulty of a girl becoming a woman including one of the most uncomfortable scenes of the year um when she's in the back of the car with the guy making sexual advances towards her. Chilling in a such a like realistic way. Yeah. Just a, 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 a great movie. Uh, I would recommend to everybody. Hundred percent. This is this is this is one of my like with no reservations. Like you said, there's a very particular person that you would recommend Mandy to. Yeah. Um, you know what's great about Mandy is that 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 person is a broader one than you would originally think. Right. With this is 100. percent I would recommend this to everyone. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it. it I've, I've compared it to Boyhood immediately after watching it, only because of its super realistic nature and the way that nothing super horrible ever really happens and nothing great ever happens. But that's kind of middle school life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's not these like. Coordinated pranks by the whole school on the girl who's not ugly, but not one of the cool kids. Yeah. And parents are friends with the cool kids, so that like puts an extra strain on her. But they're not that mean to her. Yeah. They just don't talk to her. And she is so like wanting to overcome her social awkwardness that it makes it worse. 
Yeah, to the point that she role plays in her vlogs that often her dialogue or her monologues overlay on top of scenes where she basically is describing in her vlog the way that a person in her mind would perfectly handle the situation, like an adept social explorer, and then it, but you're seeing visually on screen that it is the fucking opposite. Her vlog is who she wishes she could be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're 13, when, when you're in middle school, you get these, you know, the, the cool kids aren't necessarily the rich ones in middle school or the good looking ones. It's just the ones who aren't socially awkward. Those are the ones that everybody looks up to because everybody's fucking socially awkward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. it's almost look at them like a god. Like, yeah. why is this person so comfortable around literally everybody? Mm-hmm. And, and she's just like the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And it's, it's... I mean, I was talking to Brent a little bit about it, and I'm sure he'll echo some stuff later, but, like, those parties where you bring gifts, you're, you're buying something for somebody you don't know, and you think it's the coolest thing ever, and you give it to them, and it doesn't hit. It's just the most, mm. like, you want to sink into a corner. Got wrenching. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. And you're, like, trying to, uh, I mean, it's just, like, one of the scariest moments for me was just when she walked out of the, at the party, and she walked out in her bathing suit, and it's just, like, you can't stop fidgeting. You yeah. know what I mean? You're just like, here's a girl who's at a party that she doesn't want to be at. The people don't want her there. She's there because the parents made her come. Mm. She's walking out in her, like, little one piece. Yeah. And it's just like, ugh. It's just hard. And, like, nothing really comes of it. Yeah. Like, that's, you, a, that, that's why it's so, you're just like, oh, if, if when's it happening? If this were a John Hughes movie, she'd walk out and everyone's necks would snap and they'd turn to look at her. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Yeah, it's it's trying to be a realistic telling yeah. of what it's like when the awkward girl shows up, where people might sneak glances over at her. And whisper amongst themselves, like, oh, why is she here? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, there's no big event which brings her life crashing down. Right. Yeah. yeah. Great little slice of life. My number five movie of the year, which uh, if I hadn't called the Audible earlier and dropped Roma in my rankings, me and Chris could have had the same Z's on number <laughs> six. Uh, but it is First Reformed. Nice. Uh, First Reformed. We like uh, we've already talked about it, but the only thing I'll add to the earlier discussion is that uh, I really don't think any movie this year provided more to think about and more to discuss. Yeah, an ending completely worthy of discussion where you don't think anybody's wrong, like you said, ambiguity which was earned in my opinion, and uh, whether you felt the movie was about grace or divine intervention or salvation or whatever your take on the ending was, you're kind of you get to be right, and I think that's yeah. a masterful stroke from. From Paul Schrader, yeah. So echoing the love for First Reform. Damn it, I said we it. made it. We I'm made it this far. <laughs> I'm the one. I'm the one who's like, I never say. It. I don't know. I don't use that word. Echo. I never said it before in my life. I did put a plant in just a while ago when I said it. Uh, <laughs> it, was, um, it was quaint. All right, we'll go to number fours now. Number fours. Let's start with Chris. Okay, Brent and I could have been samesies if he likes movies better. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, my number four is Roma. I just really love, I just said Slice of Life for 8th grade, and this is that by a strong degree. I just love the time and place, like you guys said originally, with regards to the setting in Mexico City, but but especially uh, Aparicio. Her performance is just phenomenal. She's the, really good. There are a couple of scenes, and maybe it's the stark black and white, but there are a couple of scenes that are going to stick with me for probably the rest of 2019. It's just fantastic framing for this this is realistic Downton Abbey where Downton Abbey is like big pomp and big drama and also really low squalor this is this is that middle ground that plays it realistically 
Uh, I made the comparison between eighth grade and a John Hughes movie, and I think this is really on the 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 in between the ticks on the metronome in that it's like class system. Yeah, the class system and looking at 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 the real populated space between the polarized like rich and poor. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, the, the the problems that affect those people are universal. You've got a family breaking breaking apart. You've got an unplanned pregnancy. You've got those those are not omnipotent. Uh, those are ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just so great to see that lens kind of focused the way it does in that like the like the scene on the beach where it just feels so impending. Yes. The moment that the mother Leaves and goes, you'll watch everyone. And then someone goes, but she doesn't know how to swim. And then she immediately starts marching into the water. Yeah. Like, she knows it's coming. It's yeah. just like, it's it's really affecting filmmaking. And I think it's also impressive, too, that he made a film about a... F- and you've, you've felt for this family and their problems, despite them not being poor. Right. Like, despite this being like a like an upper middle class family. Yeah. That sounds about right for, yeah. for where they are in this movie. Mm-hmm. And um, now, granted, she's not upper middle class right. main stars because she's the the hired help. But but yeah, there are definitely there are definitely scenes. I know we didn't talk uh, when I mentioned it. We didn't talk a lot about the plot, but there are definitely scenes that really stick with me. Like uh, like you mentioned, the beach scene obviously is is a uh, incredible scene. When the scene where she goes to find the guy, the mm-hmm. the father, yeah. is just heartbreaking. Yeah, uh, when he's out with all his martial arts people. Yeah, which is also a weirdly, a weirdly fun scene of, of just like the the weirdo the the celebrity guy they bring in. Yeah, to to do everything. But um, but yeah, great pick. Obviously, obviously, I like his pick. Just not not as much. Just not. Yeah, <laughs> like ninety eight percent there. <laughs> TJ, number four movie. One of the best action movies uh, of the decade that's not a superhero movie is my number four pick, and that's Mission Impossible Fallout. Me and Brent often, for the past few years, have talked about, like, we need more just kind of fun movies, like family movies that are fun, mm-hmm. that aren't scary, or we, we often talk about National Treasure. It's like, it's underrated, just because it's a fun ride. It's a dumb movie, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie's not dumb, but it is silly and totally worth the ride. It's the Best Mission Impossible movie, I think, out of the franchise. Cassandra's got a thing where when we take off in airplanes, I get, like, bruises on my knee. Where her just doesn't like the, like, extreme up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was constant in this movie. Which is <laughs> her, like, grabbing my knee and just being like, oh, no. <laughs> it was just so fun. There's not much to talk about plot-wise. I don't really remember the plot. But that's not the point of the damn movie. It kind of doesn't matter. It yeah. doesn't matter. But you remember his, like, Tom Cruise's fucking phenomenal physicality. <laughs> uh, he's incredible. I mean, you can see in the movie him break his ankle and get up and limp away. <laughs> I wouldn't treat my character that I play as in a video game the way he treats himself. <laughs> his actual body? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I remember Henry Cavill cocking his arms. Oh, uh, yes. Joke, <laughs> joke. <laughs> Somebody did that to me in a fight, I'd just be like, can I quit? I know you do that. <laughs> that doesn't seem too fair. Someone's at a different level here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that bathroom fight is one of the scenes of the year for me. That's so, it was so fun. Yeah. And there's like two of them, mm-hmm. like back to back. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it was. I mean, I've forgotten that action movies can be that good, and this one just hit it. I mean, we went over to see Cassandra's sister from the theater. They're like, "What'd y'all see?" And we told him, and he was like, "How was it?" And I was like. I think it was amazing. <laughs> I gotta like sit on it for a little while. Uh, my 
some of my closest friends uh, had had a baby like the day after I saw this, and I wouldn't let myself hold it because <laughs> I was afraid. I was still on the adrenaline kick from Mission Impossible. <laughs> um, you just tried to defuse it. <laughs> yeah, like I, I thought I was like. Me and this baby could totally jump out this hospital window right now. We'd be fine. <laughs> you were like, I need another set of hands. <laughs> yeah. And even like the old Mission Impossible tropes still hit the Wolf Blitzer. Yeah. Scene. <laughs> so good. <laughs> it got me. I was like, God damn it, they got me again. <laughs> Sixth time. Yeah, because the name of the movie is Fallout. And they set up this, the, you're yeah. already thinking Fallout. I wonder what that's going to be in reference mm-hmm. to. And in the first five minutes, they show nuclear bombs going off. You're like, oh... <laughs> This series just got real, and then it's like, like wait, get... it's never real. <laughs> yeah, they pulled the mask off and it's like, damn it! The most elaborate catfish of all time. <laughs> all right, my number four movie of the year. Is, this is where I have Minding the Gap, a genuinely touching look at the cycle of domestic violence. Um, same here, number four. Oh, Sainsies! Yeah. Um, the first movie to appear on all four lists. Mm-hmm. Nice. The only thing we didn't touch on earlier was uh, the way the skateboarding results in what I thought was the most breathtakingly beautiful movie scene of the year for yeah, me. The intro scene. One of the best just, openings for sure. I just don't know how they do it other than just pure skill with skateboarding and filmmaking. You need both of them. You know, and like no one's just ever been there at that level before. Yeah, like yeah. that's why it's. I've just never seen like it. Also, Tony you, Hawk and Steven Spielberg. These are like two 16 year old kids. I was about to say, you can't just like bring in the. Hollywood's best skateboarders for this. It's a documentary. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I saw a more cathartic expression of freedom than like those scenes right there, which is just these kids just getting away and you felt it just from those opening scenes. Well, it looks like a ghost town in that opening, but there's no cars on the street. Yeah. It's just them. And when they're not gliding through the city, they're trying to climb up buildings for like, you know, just to get up and get air kind of emotionally. We try to climb buildings, and it's like, no, that's too crazy. <laughs> yeah, so that one scene that get exact. So I'm going down. It's like, why? Because I don't want to fall off. <laughs> like, good answer. I uh, love Kiri, too. I think my favorite scene of the movie is when he says to Bing, this is like free therapy. And then Bing reveals to him, I think maybe for the first time, it's like, I saw myself in you. And he's like, I didn't know you went through this. It's just the, the catharsis of unloading that secret that doesn't have to be your secret. Kiri just uh, crying to the, you know, they said, rather than like, I'm so sorry for you, so that's, that's beautiful that you saw yourself in me. Love that. Also, has some of the best editing I've ever seen in a documentary. The, the scene that's all tied together when it's right after Zach says, sometimes you just gotta smack a bitch. That it cuts back to being sitting with his mom. Yeah. Immediately. It's a hard cut right there. And it just, just destroyed me that. Yeah. Because it's really hard. And then you, you, they mix those scenes then with Kier, uh, visiting his father's grave and like coming mm. to terms with how like his father just, you know, despite some abuse was also someone he looked up to and loved and how he's grappled with that over the years and, yeah. and how when he's finally leaving town in his car and there's that song starts playing, God, it's just such a beautiful moment in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the first movie that made every list. Yep. Fun. Uh, all right. Uh, TJ, why don't you start us off on our top threes? Uh, this three. is where I have a movie that's appeared uh, on two lists so far, I believe. Nope, just one. Uh, this is where I have the favorite. It. There were a few things that I thought I wasn't going to see better of this year that the favorite made me like reconsider. 
A lot of it was like Lady Gaga and A Star Is Born, and then I saw Olivia Coleman, and I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, it's really fucking good." Production design in a couple of movies, and then I saw the production design in The Favorite, which really stood out to me more so than it did for some of y'all, and I thought it was incredible. They make that room look so big sometimes and so small sometimes, yeah. And I thought that was really well done. I always thought Yogurt Lanthimos was more of a writer who wanted to direct his crazy ass stories. Because the direction in Dogtooth and The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer never blew me away, really. It's not what stands out. It's the writing of the story. story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And this movie, I was like, oh shit, he can use a camera really well. Yeah. I got a lot of that darkest hour natural lighting kind of look Mm -hmm. was super good and it used it really well to like, right, this is kind of a funny scene or like kind of dark and creepy. Where do you award lighting? Because uh, the favorite did have great lighting, and I don't is that, is that cinematography or is it uh, cinematography? Okay. Yeah, I think it's both. Though. Set, I mean, set design. Yeah. Too? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's mean, fantastic, though. Yeah, and it's probably like a lot of the you know first AD too does a lot of that. It kind of helps with camera placement, time of day shooting, and all that kind of shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was visually stunning. Acting was ridiculous. I've said that on this podcast already. The following the award stuff kind of threw me for a loop a little bit because of Emma Stone and Rachel Rice both being supporting and I think the movie is more about Emma Stone's character than anything else. Yes. She has the arc. Yeah. I'd say. The, right. the biggest arc of the movie. It's, it's very a, a downward trend <laughs> for that character. Which is probably why she's supporting because she ends up kind of being the villain, the bad guy in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nicholas Holt is great. Yeah. In the favorite. He's, he is a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I can't ever remember the creator of Sherlock played Mycroft. Mark Gannis? Yeah. Yeah. He's fun in his role. I mean, it, it was just a, it was the ride I wanted it to be uh, for a movie directed by Yorgos and not written by him. Mm. It, it fit, it was just not disappointing and not like so much better than I thought it was to be because my expectations were so high from when we talked about this movie a year ago. Pelted by Fruit Guy was also fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that scene was something. But a movie that has all those weird Yorgos Lanthimos moments does have the rabbit scene that David touched on a little bit earlier, which is uh, kind of heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You realize that she sees herself as kind of a broken human. Mm-hmm. Could do whatever she wants except the one thing she wants. Right. Good pick. Yep. My number three movie is Eighth Grade. Yeah, I'm going to uh, even go back to the scenes that Chris was talking about, the the birthday party scene. I forget what TJ mentioned earlier is his most terrifying scene of the year, which is not from a horror movie. For me, my most terrifying scene of the year was uh, watching that other girl open that present with, uh, what's the main girl's name in Eighth Grade? Kayla. Kayla. I feel like they don't say that very often. Uh, when Kayla, I think she says it a lot. Kayla, hey, this is Kayla. All right. When Kayla's standing there watching her, standing there behind her with like the nervous like anticipation of her opening that gift, I was just like, "Please stop this movie right now." Her, I can't her, take it. Her trying to explain it, and then she immediately like, "Yeah, it's, it's this really, really cool. fun thing. It's, yeah, it's yeah. fun to play with. You know, when on a rainy day." I was just like, "Oh, all this girl wanted was like makeup, probably." Yeah. <laughs> Um, like what you'd send to me was like, it's why I hate buying gifts for people I don't know. <laughs> yes. Registries are, are exist for situations like this. Uh, that big gift card turnstile is great. Yes. <laughs> Talking about her entrance into that party, what struck me about that, that scene has really stayed with me because it's like, you feel anxiety for her walking in there. But you're right. Literally no one reacts. Yeah. No one reacts to her whatsoever. And yet you still feel that anxiety. The anxiety you would get from the John Hughes moment back in the 80s. But this is in a much more realistic sense where it's just, you feel, it's almost like a, a spotlight is shining on her without there actually being one. 
the way the way she feels walking in. Because you feel like that in middle school. You Everywhere you go, like you that. feel like there's a spotlight on you. You feel like there's a spotlight. And there never on is. You. Yeah. There isn't. And so Bo Burnham manages to like film it that way without using any sort of like effects or needing to go into like an actual spotlight. An actual yeah. spotlight. Because some filmmakers would do that sure. to make a point, um, and he it, doesn't. It's really really clever the way that they kind of they kind of film her from like her hip and her thigh as she's walking out wearing the bathing suit, and then she walks out. She gets to the to out to the the patio. It finally swings around to show the whole scene, and it's like nobody notices. Yeah, and the last thing I'm going to say is that I actually think Elsie Fisher for me gives the best dramatic performance of the year. Nice, I loved it. The way she seems so emotionally, I, I compare it to like a mountain climber who's just like just barely hanging on. So emotionally close to disaster in that movie. But she just keeps plugging away. She just like has to like gather herself throughout the movie and just like, okay, this situation is almost going as bad as I think it could go. Each time she's just like, like when she gathers herself in the house after they all go in after the pool party, she kind of goes off by herself and she just like, she calls her dad and she's just like, hey, the party's over. Please come get me. And he's just like, well, I can't. And she's just like, okay. <sighs> And she just sort of gathers herself and, and just watches the movie and just marches on in there. Yep. Her internal turmoil throughout this movie, and but and her also like constant push to like make her situation better. Yeah, she's such a trooper through it out throughout the whole thing was incredible to me. And so, <laughs> gotta see this movie. Huh? <laughs> um, TJ and I are both boldly predicting that this is going to be in your top three. <laughs> yeah. The way she just powers through moments of crippling anxiety is 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 fantastic. It's an inspiring performance. And eventually realizing that that's kind of just who she is too. Yeah, really. Like, I'm, I mean, I think so. Elsie uh, Fisher. No, I mean the character Kayla. Oh yes, yes. Like yes. eventually just being like, oh, I'm just shy and awkward. Mm-hmm. I should stop trying to not be that. It'd right. be less ex- like less exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I can find other people like me. Yeah. Right. So it's it's that's what's really impressive about it is that she like she knows she has to power through it, but that is way easier said than done when you're in eighth grade. Although when you were saying when you thought I was talking about Elsie, that is what Bo Burnham said casting. He said she was the only person out of the three hundred people he casted that seemed like a shy girl trying to be an actress. Yeah. Not an actress <laughs> trying to play a shy girl. David, number three movie. Uh, number three, it has not come up yet and I doubt that it will. Ooh! <laughs> it's my out on the ledge movie. It's it's your made, Columbus. Yeah. Well, no, I shared Columbus with, proudly with Brent last year. Um, I'm going uh, Alex Garland's Annihilation. Nice, nice. Oh man, I, I knew that was going to be in your top ten, and then yeah. I just forgot the movie existed. Yeah, I. Uh, you know, the first time I saw it, I, I was on a plane and was kind of mesmerized by it. So in the last week, I saw it again. It's on Amazon Prime. I recommend that anyone go back and revisit it. And just struck by the movie, it is kind of a mystery play, but at the end of the movie, you kind of have to abandon the mystery. And you just embrace the experience. It is, at the same time, beautiful and grotesque and terrifying and, you know, alluring. It's kind of all those things, and I think it's visually one of the most unique things I've, I've seen when you have the um, the final lighthouse scene where mm-hmm. we go into the hole and you see what happens to Doctor Ventress and what the uh, what the shimmer makes her become and gosh is that one of the most beautiful disturbing images of the haunted screensaver it becomes yeah. <laughs> and then the uh, the doppelganger speaking scene of, speaking is, of samesies. 
Yeah, same scenes on that. And then it just has probably one of the scariest scenes of the whole year for me. The unnerving bear attack scene. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that echoes the... Uh, <laughs> echoes the... the uh, <laughs> echoes the dialogue of, of one of the, the characters, and it is just so unnatural. And uh, you still have... The, the place is beautiful, though. You have the flower orientations, the configurations that are throughout the movie. But, like, horrifyingly beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's real pretty... <laughs> well, that used to be. Yeah. The, yeah, the shimmer is just one giant realized uncanny valley. Yeah, and then at the end you have the ice trees that are kind of the the frozen water that has been uh, echoed to be you know they echo the DNA within the shimmer. Yeah. to replicate tree structure. You know, I read the novel, but then kind of had to throw the novel away because it's not that book. It's kind no, of its own thing. Not at all. It, yeah, it goes with that it, and yeah. runs with its own story. And I'm not one that says it has to be beholden to the original work. Sure. I think it, it carves its own path through that uh, the imagery that I think is going to stick with me for a while. Nice. Yeah, number three. Chris, what's your cool. number three? Uh, at number three, I get to uh, to echo some okay. of what uh, Brent said uh, about A Star is Born. Not really much else to say about this movie that hasn't been said and won't be said soon in the future. Uh, it is just a fantastic movie. You highlighted the, the, the soundtrack and, and the, the love story. For me, the part that I liked was the opposite end of the arc. Was, oh, was the like the, the grief and the recovery of Allie and Jackson is just so touching and heartbreaking. His honest attempt going through rehab is just... Oh, it's it's, it's earth-shattering. And the, like... I don't know who would do this to a person who would say, we're going to have a memorial for this person who died and we want the person who was most affected by it, who was most grief stricken to sing the final number. That is just like Lady Gaga in a black dress on stage singing it. And then that cut to them singing it at the piano. It's just like, fuck me. Like this movie is, this movie did it. Like if you don't like this movie, you're callous. (laughs) Yeah, when it cuts back to them singing together, it's in tears, a, man. That is a yeah. a punch to the gut. Yeah. So that's my number three. Nice. I'll go first on number twos. My number two may be a bit of a shocker. I think some of you may have penciled this in at number one for me. My number two movie of the year is Mission Impossible Fallout. I've already talked about why it's awesome. I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the greatest action movies ever made, in my opinion. I squealed with delight multiple times in the theater while watching this movie. When the helicopter slid down like the second time, I was like, yay! Just, why not? More! I think Chad was saying too in that scene when he's like, when Henry Cavill's like, I'll make him hang from the cliff. It's like, oh, you done fucked up. He does this shit for fun. That was me. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. That movie, I was, uh, uh, yeah. Like, I'll find him on a cliff and I know you won't. I would have so loved if they would have kicked in the uh, mission, the limp biscuit version <laughs> as soon as he like, grabs uh, the cliff face. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's an age where visual effects, while excellent, are just so good that nothing can really surprise me anymore that come from special effects. So really, the surprise I get these days are what Tom Cruise will put his body through for my entertainment. <laughs> yeah, I said earlier, it's the best movie without a superhero, best action movie without a superhero in a decade. And while Ethan Hunt's not, I kind of think Tom Cruise is. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think he secretly wants to be buried in this movie. This movie <laughs> franchise. They have to write in his mortality. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have to retcon it. 
this is the movie where it, it, it let me know how those audiences used to feel when they thought the train was going to come through the screen and kill them. <laughs> because I just sit here, I'm scared for what's happening on screen. I'm afraid this man's going to kill himself and I'm going to have to watch. I don't think they can kill Ethan Hunt because I think Tom Cruise will kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> because he's going to do this. He's like, well, Ethan Hunt dies in this stunt? I guess I'm dead then. <laughs> Christopher McQuarrie has to be aware of what he writes in the screenplay. <laughs> he, he is the he is the Buster Keaton of our time, uh, and he should be nominated for Best Actor. I'm done. <laughs> also, Wolf Blitzer. Thank you. I'm just waiting for like Mission Impossible like Moon Trip, where he has to like jetpack from like the dark side of the moon. So I've read that there have been like uh, that, yeah, that he and someone have actually had discussions about filming some stuff in space. <laughs> 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 So there you like, go. He does the gravity like first scene, but he just does it. It's like, how can we recreate like a like a meteor shower though? Like this rock hitting me while I'm in space. <laughs> That's not safe, Tom. Yeah, I'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, David, number two, number two. Uh, it's going to be a same Z. I'm going with uh, First Reformed. Uh, we, we've talked at length about this. Uh, it's something that some movies like this, you get burnt out, and then you just want to watch like Friends or something afterwards. This movie made me want, after I finish it, maybe want to watch everything that inspired it. Yeah. Like the the uh, Robert Brisson, the uh, the Ingmar Bergman movies that are yeah. emotional tethers to this movie. And uh, just really impressed with the the filmmaking really echoes the character in that... Now I'm not even trying. <laughs> saying echo. <laughs> but the withholding nature of just the aspect ratio and just the static camera... It's withholding the entire time, only to unleash in the final end. Uh, I think it is a you know it's a great ending because, like you said, it earns it by being so austere. The rest of the movie, and then just like lets it go completely, and then ends the movie. <laughs> I don't have too much else to say from that, but one most rewarding experience is getting to watch it and uh, talk through it with you guys too. So thanks, Chris, for signing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nailed it. I was like, that, I knew that podcast was going to be a good episode too. When Chad hadn't seen it, but he was sitting in with us, and he was just like, "Yeah, so could it be like a biblical thing?" Like, yeah, it could be. Chad, and he's like, "I'm gonna watch this movie." <laughs> I'm putting uh, I'm putting a star next to the guilty, and anytime someone mentions First Reform, because I'm taking credit for those recommendations. <laughs> yes. well, My number two movie of the year, yes, uh, has been. I'm catching with how the format's going. There you go. <laughs> it only took me uh, thirty six. <laughs> Is uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse? Nice. Really climbs its way up to the top of my <laughs> list, like a spider do. <laughs> um, I just think it's it's. Just a, a really phenomenal movie and it was it's it's my mission impossible of the year i had i didn't have as much fun i've got lots of downers on my list <laughs> <laughs> i haven't had as much fun watching a movie as i did watching spider verse like it was the most gleeful just carousel ride of the year for me. Miles Morales is a fun young protagonist. I've always loved the Peter Parker Spider-Man character. And this both embraces and discards all of that preconceived notion about Spider-Man in the same movie. It's kind of the end-all be-all answer to like, I like X superhero because of X. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're all right. You're all right. Spider-Man is whatever you want him to be for you. And this is really a visual representation of that. I, I like the father-son relationship. My one criticism of it is just like a, it is, it is a, a long-lost memory now. Because I can just only recall the things that I truly enjoyed. And I think it was just being there for all of it. 
mm-hmm. uh, is the one moment that I really appreciate from it. So it's all the way up to my number two. Nice. Excellent. Awesome. TJ, your number two. Uh, my top two movies kind of share a theme, which is definitely a downer of a theme. And two movies that I think put depression and how people cope with it uh, or don't in different ways. But my number two film is Tully, which I uh, kind of really wanted to see at the beginning of the year when it came out. It got pushed away. I kind of forgot it was a thing. And then me and Cass were doing one of our, like, let's just, we got up at nine. We don't have anything to do today. Let's watch, like, four or five movies from this year. And Tully was one of them, and we both loved it. Just a phenomenal performance from the two leads. Charlie Theron is incredible. I think if that movie had a kind of award season release, she might be in more discussion yeah. for a lead actress. The things it goes through with depression, and I don't think it's necessarily specific, this movie, to postpartum, but the the way it attacks depression and just how you kind of, when you're a mom, you don't have time to fix it. So maybe your body just kind of, and your mind just kind of goes through whatever it needs to, to try to help you. Like it's trying to fight this disease. Constantly in maintenance mode. Yeah. And sometimes you might not even know it's doing that. And this movie signals that really well, and it's such a slow burn, and also not boring. I mean, it, it was a it was an experience that I didn't see coming, which is super fun for me. Those are my favorite great movies, or the mm-hmm. ones where I'm like, this will probably be good, and you watch it, and you're like, holy shit! It was I just sit in it for a little while afterwards, yeah. you know. It's it's a great exploration of that uh, you know the mental state, but at the same time, there's an opposite side where it's also it's super charming. And it's funny, and it is light in some places, and yeah. and nostalgic, and characters get caught up in each other. Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate that part of it, too, or else it would be a freaking dirge of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Charlize Theron's foil, Mackenzie Davis, is almost almost just as good, but I think Charlize is better in it. Yeah. As kind of just being the, the other side of that coin to the movie, kind of the, the lightness She's she's a night nanny that that is hired to kind of make her life better, and I think she does a phenomenal job in it too. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, one of those films that I watched and just slowly crept up until a few days ago, and I was like, I think this is just a like top five movie for me. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, I think it's time to segue to our number ones, and let's start with David. I think it's a good place to start. I think you're right because I have Tully, yeah, as my number one movie of the year. Um, I had three in contention for number one, and uh, this just uh, kind of outlasted all of them. And it just grows in appreciation the more, the further distance I get away from it. Yep. And not to say to really experience it, you have a kid, but it's on a different level of understanding and exploration. Having a kid, and you know the thing you're talking about is when you're a parent, you're going to be stretched beyond what you can give. You give anyway because you have to. Right. You do what you have to having a kid. You have complications that come up. You have people that can't rely on because they can't give any more of themselves. I think this does a great job of trying to give understanding to that situation uh, in a very humane way. Charlie Theron and uh, Mackenzie Davis play both sides of the you know, the exhilaration of it and the exhaustion. And there is, you know, you're right, there's no break. And there's not going to be a break till everyone's off in college. And even then, <laughs> there's no break. Right. <laughs> There's a relentlessness to it that is only balanced by the sublime connection that they have. Even with the night nurse coming in, Charlize Theron is still kind of clinging to wanting to be awake and hang out, to still be around the kid and be around the experience. 
and feels guilty kind of taking a moment for herself, which is, that's so much what parenting is. is yeah, I mean, you, you get this, there's there's no break, there's no, I mean, that's literally like how I've had depression defined to me before. Mm-hmm. Just like, there's no break, you can't stop. You're not doing anything else other than being depressed, mm-hmm. you know, until you figure out how to fix it, it decides to leave, or you get in some kind of weird management mode. This movie does a great job of that. I think mm-hmm. explaining kind of all three aspects of it a little bit. Yeah. It's it's a movie that I think does a great job of exploring all those things. How you can get mired in that thing and get in a cycle. And a lot of these movies we talk about are about some, some cycles that you just really got to take time to address what's going on. And I just think it does a great job of it. And it made me uh, hate Rob Livingston. <laughs> <laughs> and I, he was pretty likable before, so good job movie. I don't think I hated him as much as uh, her brother, though. Yeah. You kind of hate both of them because none of them even try to understand what's going on. They would rather ignore it and hope it keeps working than try to help for real. Yeah. Um, just really great. Yeah. And maybe it's not a number one if, I, if I'm if i not a parent or maybe it is anyway. Um, I just I could not divorce the two in my mind and really appreciated that movie this year. Nice. Well, then wait 13 years to watch 8th grade. <laughs> yeah. And you've got that, that would be my most horrifying movie of the year. <laughs> Chris, what's your number one? It's my favorite. Uh, it's the favorite. Ah. I, I walked out of that movie. I was just like struck by how excellently it wields all tools available to filmmakers. We've talked a lot about the acting and some of the writing, but for me, it was also the one of the funniest movies. It takes an angle that I wasn't ex- that I was expecting, and but it just executed on it way better than I thought it would. In that it looks at the opulence of the royal family and of the sovereign and just fucking sneers at it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. these huge feasts that people take one bite of and then discard. And it's just, it is a useful disarming of of it to tell just a love story in the middle of all of that. Mm-hmm. A love story that has implications that are war or peace it is which lover does Queen Anne decide to go with, or who prevails in the day. And I think that that is just a a great mechanism uh, and one of the most interesting movies I saw all year. Nice. That's my number one. It's well-tread territory, or well-trodden territory. So I don't really want to uh, spend a lot of time revisiting it. So I echo everything that's been said about it as well. Mine's kind of similar. Excellent. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. I, mean, I can say some stuff that I think we've kind of glossed over. My number one is A Star is Born. Uh, and it wasn't really close for me this year, which I didn't <laughs> feel like was going to happen. But I feel like nothing really approached that movie for me. Kind of talking about what I was talking about with Tully and those themes. I don't think a movie's ever portrayed rock bottom in a more realistic and better way than A Star is Born did. What the scene Chris was talking about at the uh, rehab facility, uh, down to the detail of him kind of apologizing to her, realizing he's fucked up and and kind of broken this friendship he has with her, to realizing that he's upset her dad, which is like the worst thing a southern boy can do, and that hurts him more. To the detail of the lady being behind him, waiting, just because you have to be there for him to try to jab something in his neck or something, you know what I mean? You just yeah. don't know. And then realizing that he can kind of fix it, which I think is what the ending of that film is, and in, in his mind. Yeah. Right or wrong, that character can stop the problems that he's creating. And he, he executes it. I mean, he finally goes through the one thing he says he's going to do. Yeah. In his mind. And that's, uh, it's heartbreaking. But I mean, I also assume that's how most people that commit suicide do it. They decide that 
This is a way for it to stop. Yeah. And, and, and what sucks is realizing they're not wrong. They are stopping it. It just sucks because he doesn't realize that this is just hurting more people. Right. It's creating a new set of problems for everybody. And that movie does that extremely well. Love the supporting characters. Didn't really yeah. think I was going to. Andrew Dice Clay is great. And Dave Chappelle's scene I thought was great and didn't feel out of place to me at all. Nope. And I think it's got one of the best songs written for a movie long, long time. Ever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Shallow is fantastic. The Jason Isbell song, Maybe It's Time to Let the Old Ways Die, is great. Mm-hmm. And Lady Gaga is freaking phenomenal. Yeah. I, mean, I think the first review I heard was of from Al. And I was like, how'd you like it? And he said, it's Lady Gaga's world and we're all just living in it. And I was like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Yeah, the best movie of the year by far on on my list is a Star Born. Excellent, nice. Break out the lockbox. Brent's been secretive <laughs> about his movies. I didn't know what y'all's were either. Has, I didn't has, want to know anybody's. Has been shrugging whenever we mention like, well, there's not going to be a movie on here that none of us have. Like, we all know what everyone's watched. <laughs> yeah, I thought back to last year when we did this. My number one movie last year is Get Out, and like how. I really liked the way it represented America at the time. It fear dominating headlines and concerns in 2017 throughout the country, being central to the American experience of, of the year, I think. And um, it sort of reflected that. 2018 for me weirdly felt like, even though some of the vitriol and nastiness continued in our country, 2018 felt like an instead of a fear of that direction, a rejection of it. 2018, for me, was a nice year in movies. You know, you had movies like Love, Simon and To All the Boys I've Loved Before that were just, like, sweet, charming high school movies. It was the year of Owl of Dogs and breaking down the emotional walls of Chief and whatnot. And it's the year where movies told us to start a band with our dads and that would be awesome. And it's the year where a movie gave me one silent minute to sit and cry and think about all the people who helped me get to this point in my life, you know, with Mr. Rogers and whatnot. And that was a beautiful moment. And 2018, more than anything, gave me an illegal immigrant hero who looks for the good in all of us and somehow he finds it. My number one movie of 2018 is indeed Paddington 2. Yes! (laughs) First and foremost, it is one of the best family films ever made. (laughs) It has a central message of kindness, which comes shining through without ever feeling hackneyed or contrived. It's extraordinarily well-paced. The movie's only 104 minutes long, and it has time for numerous set pieces, side quests, and (laughs) um, all of Hugh Grant's humor and his storyline. Moments of sweetness, heroism, humor... It's genuinely funny. I laughed out loud so much during this movie. And G-rated humor is the hardest humor mm-hmm. to make work, I think. Yeah, from a technical aspect, I thought the action, the visual effects were excellent. I was on the edge of my seat. At one point, I clapped alone <laughs> because I was excited that someone had come to save the day. Yeah. I mean, as Aunt Lucy said, if we're kind and polite, the world will be right. <laughs> And Paddington 2 was everything to me that was right about movies in 2018. So what was your real number one? (laughs) (laughs) Paddington 2. I loved it. God damn. I love this world. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for a movie to also, like, follow through on the hype. Like, there had been Mm -hmm. so much damn hype on that movie. Yeah, like I said, it's been a weird one. A, A weird year for that kind of thing. Paddington 2 related, like, I mean, since January 1st, we've been 
Y'all heard about Paddington 2? Apparently it's the best movie of all time. Yeah, it became a joke, then you see it, then you become a prophet for it. Nice. Yes. Like, it, it, I am not yet lucky enough to be a father, but once I am, I'm really looking forward to showing a child Paddington 2 and <laughs> uh, talking with them about kindness and how important that is. I've got one quick movie that didn't appear on anybody's top ten that I think we all liked uh, and was probably, like, top 15 for all of us. Sorry, Sorry to bother you. you. Yep. Yeah. I left it off. I thought someone else was going to. I left it, it off, <laughs> kind of, for the same reason, a little bit. I mean, I think I did like Vice a little better, but it was, uh, it was right there at number eleven. I just, I don't want to leave that movie off because it was a super fun ride. It's so bold and audacious of yeah. the movie. Yeah, I um, I also want to shout one out, and I really think that it's got an issue in that I'm the only one who's seen it and might make someone else's list. Is if Beale Street could talk, hmm. um, yeah. don't. Like there's there's a lot of backlash against it, but it is just such a sweet movie about love and struggle in anywhere America. Um, that is just really superb. It was my last off. I, I struggled to keep it on, but you know just didn't have room. Yep. I think y'all hit most of my almost made it on your list, but um, I'll also throw out that uh, a movie that just kept sort of coming back to me all year was Black Panther. Which yeah, I really yeah, it's good. Did continue. I loved it more the second time I watched it than I did the first time, and it's the movie I'm going to. Re- it's the superhero movie from the year I'm going to remember the most. Probably the experience of watching it, at least the mm-hmm. traditional superhero, maybe not counting Spider Verse. Yeah. Just to, to kind of follow up with that, uh, there was a long time until I don't know, fifty days ago or so, where I was pretty sure Infinity War was going to be in my top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my favorite MCU movie of the year. And I'll just go three straight ones, all Netflix, all around that 10 spot for me. Shirkers, yeah. really interesting documentary. In my mind, though, uh, just Minding the Gap just ate its lunch as far as best documentary. Yeah. Ballad of Buster Scruggs almost made it on. Nice. I've rewatched it, and the uh, the ones I've liked the least kind of improved a little bit, um, especially Meal Ticket. It's it's really grim, but really great the second time I watched it. Mm. And uh, Private Life. The Catherine Hahn Paul Giamatti movie. That was the last cut for me. It's a real beautiful movie about a couple struggling with infertility and just the heartbreaking cycle of that, combined with just great humor and kind of gallows humor at at times. I really recommend it. Nice. Yeah. And I only had a couple more that are outside. You know, Unsane was an early movie that I thought was just very clever. Claire Foy is phenomenal. And then uh, First Man, the only crime that it committed is that, you know, not enough of us have seen it. I think that it has some some problems, which ultimately is what keeps it off my list, in that I think it, it knew what it wanted to do on the screen, but not really what it wanted to do on paper. Um, and so the, the, the dialogue and some of the, some of the scenes are, are overlong or unnecessary. But who am I to criticize Damien Chazelle? I can own, the worst I can do to him is keep him off my top ten list. Also, very, very nearly just... Uh Threw Game Night on mine, too. I love Game Night. Game Night's so fun. So fun. It was fun. You, you wanted to play another trump card? You already had one. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for uh, making it through this, uh, you know, longer than normal podcast. Uh, I guess from here, things will kind of get back to normal. We'll be doing Oscar stuff a lot soon. And anyway, that's it. This is uh, Talkie Talk, podcast for the media by us. You can uh, follow us on uh, Facebook at the Movies by Us, TV by Us, and Games by Us groups. You can uh, email us at themediabias at gmail.com Tweet, tweet with us at themediabias. Right. See our website themediabias.com. That's it. That's what I always do first. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please give us a, uh, a, a nice rating. 
I think we've deserved it today. Yeah. <laughs> Be kind, rewind, watch it again. Thank you to the Willow Walkers for our intro music. The Willow Walkers. Walkers. Thank you to Burifa for our outro music. Burifa. And thank you guys for uh, another year in the books. Thanks, Brant. Bye. Bye, everybody. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town, slow pokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I 